0: Good morning. Um, yeah, the, the reading is from Luke 15 verses 11 to 32 um, and this is from the NIV version. Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father Father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them. Not long after that The younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here am I, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house and heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you.
1: thank you Val it's uh, on behalf of the church I give a warm welcome to James who has come to bring the message this morning thank you James good morning let me take this mask off so I can talk a little bit freely can I put this on a chair is that all right no one's going to be offended no one's Bible is it in particular uh, Got to be careful not to throw it on the ground because um, I might get crucified later on so i try to be careful. It's lovely to be with you this morning. Uh, I have actually been here many years ago uh, when Rob was pastoring in those days. I think that's over 10 years ago it would have been. Um, uh, the building looked very different then so it's lovely to see it nice and light and bright and updated. It reminds me of I don't know why but every time I come here it reminds me of um, Sweden and uh, I lived in Sweden in a place called Nortelia I lived in several places in Sweden but I was pastoring up in Nortelia just near Stockholm and this building is so similar to that building in Nortelia where I used to work so uh, it sort of triggers me in some way in a good way so I don't get offended by that So I want to talk today about the subject of sin and repentance and uh, you're probably thinking what's the story of the prodigal got to do with sin and repentance well i believe it's got everything to do with sin and repentance Uh, but in particular i think if we look at the theme of the prodigal son uh, we would most certainly say that it's a story of sonship uh, but there's several characters of course in this story and uh, we know that there's the younger son who asks his dad for his inheritance we know that there's an older son who stays on the farm does if you like the right thing by his father and of course there's the father and there's the servants uh, in this story i would say from the beginning that luke chapter 15 generally speaking not just the story of the prodigal son but also the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin all reflect and are about the love that the Father has for each of us uh, who are made in his image. And there's a lot of us that are made in his image. Someone say amen? It's not just you and I that sit here today. Uh, of course, we like to believe because we uh, follow Jesus that we're, I guess, got lots of privileges, which we do. I would agree with that. But of course, all of creation is made uh, in the image of God. you say amen to that. So whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Satanist, whether you're a whatever, God loves you, uh, irrespective of where you're at on this journey of life. And I like to remember that uh, there's people out there who are just like the one that was led astray and the shepherd left the 99 and went after. There are those that have been lost somewhere in the household uh, of the kingdom, if you like. And the widow removes the furniture and sweeps the whole house to find that one lost coin, that one lost soul that's gone astray. And then the father, of course, who waits so eagerly and patiently for his son who has gone off to squander his inheritance. When we think about the prodigal son, we often think it's all about the son. I would say that it's not all about the son. Uh, Of course he is the main character and the prodigal son of course the word prodigal by the way unless you haven't studied it before means extravagant waste that word and so we see that theme throughout the prodigal parable of course the son who wastes his inheritance uh, is obviously the main theme but there's additional themes that I want to highlight today to you as well. I want to put down some ground rules uh, when we look at this subject of sin and repentance based on the prodigal son. And the first thing I want to highlight when we think of the prodigal son is is the son comes to the father and he asks his dad for his inheritance. Now, according to Jewish tradition and according to our tradition, that's uh, very unusual because uh, to receive your inheritance as a son, according to Jewish tradition, at the very least, you would have had to have your father pass away. So it would have been a great offence for the father, really, to hear his son say, hey, give me my inheritance because I want to take it and do my own thing. The other thing that we need to remember is that the father gives both the sons their inheritance. He doesn't just give the one younger son, but he says he divides the inheritance amongst the sons, both, plural. Plural. And according to Jewish tradition, again, the father would have divided, uh, if he had two sons, and that's what this parable says, he would have divided the inheritance into three lots, and he would have given the older son a double portion. So the, the older son uh, was doubly blessed, if you like, uh, as a result of the younger son's actions. It also says here that the younger son took his inheritance and he left for a distant land. He left, if you like, the place of his belonging. He left the place of his upbringing. He left the place of his father. Uh, and everything that he knew, he left behind. And he went to a distant land. He, If you like, if I can interpret it in my way, I would say that he pursued his own path he took his own decisions and decided for his own life instead of following what the father wanted for him so there's a lot in this parable and i'm only touching on a few items here to think about but i want you to have that in the bottom of your thoughts today as we go through this subject of sin and repentance he wanted his father dead that's an extreme but he wanted his father dead so he could receive his inheritance and do what he wanted, his will, instead of doing the father's will. And you can probably see where I'm going with this today. And of course, Scripture says that he went off to this foreign land, he extravagantly wasted his inheritance on wine, women and song, on all the very things that really were taboo, according to jewish tradition and of course he fell upon hard times in those hard times as a result he subjects himself so he hires himself out to these foreigners and he subjects himself to other people instead of being the son for which he's been called he subjects himself to foreigners and he finds himself feeding swine now as a true jewish person swine were considered unclean Uh, of course you would not touch swine let alone feed swine and uh, be working with them Uh, they were unclean animals according to really the book of law book of the law and uh, were seen as something that was non-kosher so to speak so this finally this son comes to his senses scripture says and he he does two things one he repents it says that he realizes that it was wrong and then the second thing is he turns for home and i want you to think about those things as we talk about this subject of sin and repentance now the definition of sin comes from the hebrew word hatar or it's got a few different pronunciations but that's my pronunciation it means literally to miss the mark and of course the example that we have from that is an archer who is shooting his arrow at a target and of course that arrow falls short of his target he misses the mark and can I say from the outset that as sons and daughters of God that there is a standard there is an expectation being sons and daughters of God that God desires for us there's a hope that he has because Jeremiah 29 we all know The plans that God has for us are good and not evil. They are great plans that he has for us. A lot greater plans, can I say, than what most of us ever think about in our own lives. And so God has this great standard, but sin is when we miss the standard that God has for our lives. Whenever I talk about sin, especially with young people, I like to give the example of a... uh, a knock at the door that you might have one afternoon and you open the door and standing at the door you find a man who says I'm here on behalf of the Queen of England. I mean I would personally be rather excited about that. I'm not a you know extreme royalist, but I love the royal family. I love to see how they live and the life they live over there in England and I've been to Buckingham Palace and I've seen the gold room and the red room and all the other rooms that they've got there and it's it's extravagant, it's lovely. Uh, So I would find that rather exciting to find someone at my front door saying I'm here on behalf of the Queen. And of course he goes on and he says well not only am I here on behalf of the Queen but I'm here to announce that we've searched the Royal Archives and you Mr Kenny Kenny is my surname, by the way, James Kenny. You, Mr. Kenny, have been found to be of royal blood. And you're in line to the throne. Maybe somewhere down right down the bottom there, but you're in line to the throne. That would that would be rather exciting, I would like to think. And he says, Well, we want you to come to England to meet the Queen. We're going to fly you first class on British Airways. Uh, you're going to stay in Buckingham Palace's gardens there, probably in the soil somewhere. No. That's not probably true but they'll put me up somewhere and then finally you're going to get to meet the Queen. That would be exciting. How many think that would be exciting? Two people, that's good. Um, and of course you get to meet the Queen and all those sorts of things. Of course if I was meeting the Queen, I probably wouldn't dress quite like this. Now I don't think I'm badly dressed today but if you're going to meet a Queen you would probably dress up a little bit more. Maybe put on a tux or a really nice suit or something like that. I don't know how I dress. But I wouldn't present myself the same as what I present myself in everyday living. Anyone else agree with that? Yeah. In the same way, I wouldn't behave the same in the presence of the Queen as I would in everyday living. Why? Why? because the expectation we have of the Queen is up here, whereas in daily life our expectation perhaps is down here. And so, as sons and daughters of God, I believe that the expectation of our God and how He has called us to live as sons and daughters is up here. And yet we often live down here. And this is really the story of the prodigal son, because he decides to choose his own path To make his own way decide his own destiny and of course he goes off and he lives according to that but there's a higher calling there's a higher destiny that you and i have in christ jesus romans 3 and 23 says for all of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god there's no one without sin true even the pope i've seen the vatican seen how he lives in his lovely palace at the back there. Uh, but no one is without sin. We've all fallen short. 1 John 1 1.8 says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We're fools. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. There's no escaping sin, except of course through Jesus Christ our Lord and all that He did for us on the cross. There's a difference between forgiveness and salvation isn't there uh, a few years ago we had uh, five acres up at Warramoo. Uh, don't own that these days but when our children were younger we had five acres up there and on those five acres there was a, a fairly large rock shelf and i used to say to my son who was probably seven or eight when we purchased the land I used to say to my son, you've got to be careful with this rock shelf because if you fall off here, it's about a 20-foot drop to the bottom to the forest floor below and there's rocks and you could really get hurt. So how would I feel one day if my son came to me and says, Dad, I'm going out the back to play. And I said to him, sure, no worries, son, but be careful of that rock shelf. I'm just warning you that if you play on that rock shelf and you fall, you could really get hurt. And off he goes and a few minutes later I hear this yell for help. And of course I go out to the rock shelf and at the bottom of the rock shelf I find my son fallen to the ground at the forest floor. Now the difference between forgiveness and salvation is this, is I can say, son what's happened? He can say, I'm sorry dad, I disobeyed you. I played on the rock shelf and now I've fallen to the forest floor and I've broken my leg or whatever. This is the difference. And I can say, well son I forgive you I wish you well and walk away. But of course, salvation isn't just wishing someone well, isn't simply saying, I forgive you. Salvation is saying, well, son, I forgive you that you've made this mistake, but you need to learn from your mistake and I'm going to help you out of that hole. You see, many of us believe that because God has forgiven us of our sin, that we can go off and live as we like. Because that's not God's way. God wants us to follow the path and the destiny and the decisions that He has made for our lives because He knows us and He created us in His image with us in mind. And He wants us to be blessed and to live a prosperous life. Does anyone agree with that? And so, in our sins, it's not just about being forgiven. But it's about learning that sins lead to death and that we must be saved from the behaviors as well as the thoughts and the attitudes that lead to sin which of course leads to death so god wants us to be forgiven our sins but he wants to save us from our sins he wants to teach us a new path in society we often grade sin don't we Uh, i know i'm only one of my 53 i just turned 53 and even in my lifetime i've been a, a, a follower of jesus christ now for about 35 years at 17 years of age i came to jesus down at uh, Penrith christian fellowship center down there at Penrith, on the corner of um, simeon road there orchard hills and uh, uh now it's imaginations church or something like that these days but in those days I was down there with Gordon Gibbs and Rob Thornton and the likes, uh, some really great men of God. And in, in those days, sins were different uh, to what they often are today. Things that we do today are not so much classed as sin, at least in the eyes of society. Uh, it's okay today to be a homosexual, for example, according to society, according to our communities in which we live. And there's lots of sins like that which are considered okay in society today. But can I say that God's standard remains the same. God's standard hasn't changed. God loves the sinner but he continues to hate our sin. And so God wants to call us out of our sinful ways and put us on a path of righteousness and holiness with him and that's the work of the Holy Spirit which we pray in Psalms every day Holy Spirit lead me on this path of righteousness for your name's sake Lord Lead me Lord in righteousness because that's the path that God has chosen for both you and I a Catholic colleague I work with I'm working with DCJ or Department of Communities and Justice these days as a caseworker and uh, I've got a couple of really lovely Catholic colleagues And I asked one of my colleagues, what's the Catholic Church's view of sin? And she said to me, well, I believe there's venial sins and there's mortal sins. So there's sins that don't really have much effect, venial sins, sins that you can be forgiven of and there's no issue and you just say a few Hail Marys and all is well. But then she said there's also mortal sins and in Direct translation of mortal, of course, is death. So sins that lead to death. Of course, Corinthians tells us, Paul says in Corinthians that there's uh, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And of course, worldly sorrow leads to death, but godly sorrow leads to righteousness. And so I believe that God would call each and every one of us into a place of worldly, sorry, godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow called us to godly sorrow. So what's the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow according to Scripture? The difference is a change in our behaviour. So we are once living this way and now God says you're going to live this way and we do that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Of course the Ten Commandments also divides sin into two groups. And by the way, Paul talks about in Ephesians, ignorant sin, uh, sins that we commit ignorantly. And then, of course, there are sins that we do intentionally. So there's two groups there. The Ten Commandments are basically divided up into two groups. Sins that we commit against the Father and sins that we commit against each other. And therefore, the commandments reflect the fact that we're called to love God and to love people and jesus of course said the two greatest commandments uh that you love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and that you love your neighbor as yourself and so that's a reflection of the ten commandments original sin genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 says the Lord commanded him talking to adam at the time you may eat freely from the tree of the garden But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you can imagine, you know, I don't know if you read Genesis very often, but it paints such a wonderful picture of the relationship that God has with his offspring, with his children. You can see Adam and Eve, and they're walking in the garden in the cool of the day, scripture says, and they're conversing and having fellowship with the Father, talking to them about what's happened throughout the day, perhaps. And I don't know when was the cool of the day. I assume it was late afternoon or early morning. I'm not sure exactly when that would have been. Uh, but at least it would have been a, a warm environment being in the Middle East and that's the time that I would have chosen anyway. But they've got this intimate, close relationship with the father. And the garden is sprawled out in front of them and the father's saying, hey, listen, look at all this, these trees and all these shrubs and everything that you see here is for your benefit everything here is for your benefit except that one tree over there that's mine i don't want you to touch it and of course typical human nature isn't it the very thing that we're told not to do we often do and paul says that doesn't he He says i do the things i don't want to do and i don't do the things i want to do and of course the serpent comes in he deceives eve And then, of course, it all starts from there to go downhill. Eve, of course, blames the serpent. Adam, of course, blames Eve. And that hasn't stopped, has it? Man continues to blame his his wife for everything and uh, vice versa. And, of course, that relationship that Adam and Eve had with the father at that point was different. It was different because they had chosen a different path. Like the prodigal son, they had chosen to decide their futures for themselves. Sin to me is not just a list of do's and don'ts. And don't take this wrongly now. I believe it's important for us to know black and white, this is wrong. Murder's wrong. Sexual is wrong. It's wrong. These things will lead to death. But what's important is also the ideology and the attitude that we have about sin. And I believe that comes from knowing who we are in Christ Jesus because of what Christ Jesus did for us, but also as a result of who we've been created for and by. And that is, of course, for the Father and by the Father. We're created in His image and we're created for greatness. So it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. But it's about having the right attitude and understanding and identification with christ and all that he has for us in the garden of eden by the way there's a lot to talk about the garden of eden there's lots of uh, analogies of what the garden was like what the garden was definitely like though it was a place of god's presence because we know that god was present in the garden walking intimately closely in fellowship with Adam and Eve, but it was also a place of his provision. In reflection, in thinking about the prodigal son, what did he do? He did just like Adam and Eve did. He chose his own path by wanting to take his inheritance and go off to a foreign land, sinning, if you like, against his father by doing so. And as a result of his sin, he wandered off to that foreign land because he chose that and he's wandered off. Adam and Eve, in their choosing to rebel against God, scripture says that they were barred from the Garden of Eden, the place of God's presence and the place of God's provision that was laid out before them. And they walked or wandered into the east. By the way they walked into the same area that cain walked after killing abel you may remember from the story that god sent him into the land of nod now the land of nod is not a place that you fall asleep we could do that sometimes in church couldn't we but the land of nod literally means a place of wandering So we have the prodigal son who by his own choosing wanders to a foreign land, he leaves the place of the father's presence on the farm. Adam and Eve, as a result of their sin, are cast out of the Garden of Eden and wander away from the place of God's presence and his provision. And of course Cain, as a result of his sin, wanders away from the father as well. We could ask the question what is uh original sin all about what was adam and eve's sin well of course they rebelled against god we know that's obvious and by the way rebellion stems in witchcraft the first verse of the satanic bible i imagine no one's read it here but if you've ever read the satanic bible the very first verse says do as thou wilt do as you want That's the first verse of the satanic bible god's will is different to our will though god's plans are often different to our plans and god is calling us to serve and to choose his plans and his destiny for our lives rather than our own and that i believe really is the definition of sin is when we wander away from the plans and the calling that god has for our lives. And in doing so, we leave behind God's presence and God's provision. There was curses as a result as well. I probably won't go into that here. and now, by the way, Israel wandered 40 years in the desert. There's lots of analogies throughout Scripture of wandering as a result of sin. You can look it up yourselves sometime. Can I say that when we return or when we repent and return to God's place we're returning to the place of his presence and the place of his provision as I've said earlier but we're returning to the place of our belonging the farm for the prodigal son was a place of his upbringing but it was also a place of his culture his tradition his learning his intellect his understanding about who he was and when we sin we leave behind often our identity of who we are in christ to pursue our own identities uh, as i said earlier I work, i'm a caseworker. i'm working child protection these days and we have children in out of home care that i i'm responsible for and i often there's a number of domains eight domains that we focus on when we work with our kids in out-of-home care but one of the domains that we work on is their identity and uh, when i talk to kids about their identity they say what's my identity and i say well your identity is your i am statements and i give them examples i say i am a father i'm a husband i'm a man I'm a caseworker, and I go on and on and on and give them examples in my own life. As believers in Christ, we have an identity as well. And it's that identity that we need to know, but also embrace to be true sons and daughters of God. To live out that purpose, that plan, that calling that God has for you and I. And I believe. It all begins when we return, when we turn back to the Father and decide to choose His ways over our own ways. The word for repentance, so sin, hatah, is about choosing our own path. But the word repentance comes from the Hebrew word teshubah. And it means literally to turn back, to do a literal 180 from where we are to turn back on our sin and turn back to our destiny in God. That's the true meaning of this Teshubah. So repentance is not just something that we say with our minds or perhaps even say with our lips, I'm sorry, Father, I'm stuffed up again. But, But repentance is an action. It's a verb. It's a doing thing that we actually take action and change what we're doing, turn our back on our sinful ways and go back and do the will of the Father. Choose His path instead of our own path. So, the symbolism I've written here in Scripture shows a man who has turned his back on sin and the path of sin he was on, and who now resolutely looks to the Father, just as Isaiah says that Jesus did. Isaiah says that Jesus set his face like flint towards the cross. Over and over again, we see in the life of Christ that he chose the will and the path of the Father over his own will and over his own desires for his life. Even in the garden of Gethsemane, and by the way, you can see that in scripture where he's often taking himself aside in prayer all night long in many cases to find out what the will of his father is even to the point you remember when he fed the five thousand and his brothers come to him the following day this is his literal brothers come to him the following day and they say now listen if you're going to be a great evangelist and do all the things that you do and you need to do x y and z and they try to set him on this path and he says no 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 that's not what my father has said in fact we're going to withdraw and we're going to go to a different area now He had the chance to be a great tele-evangelist, if you like, if we use that comparison today. And yet he said, no, that's not the path the Father has chosen for me. We're going to follow his path instead. So Jesus set his face like flint. We're called to set our face like flint after the will of the Father, after the plans that the Father has for our lives. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, of course, prayed three times, didn't he? And each and every time he said, Father, let this cup pass by me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And we're called to be just like Jesus in that regards and say, Lord, there's lots of opinions, there's lots of ideas, there's lots of thoughts that I have which are good, but they're not necessarily always your thoughts and your ideas. What is your plan? What is your will, Father? Because the Lord's Prayer Reg started with the Lord's Prayer when he prayed today, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. Who, who is this earth? Well, you and I are made of this earth. So let your will be done. Let your kingdom come in this earth as it is in heaven. So repentance results in a change of behavior. It says we turn our back on the sin. And we turn back to the father we'd come back to him and come back to the place of his presence uh, i'll jump over that one because i think i've touched on that enough already that's true repentance resulting in change in behavior and here we have the prodigal son in the midst of his turmoil in the midst of his trouble scripture says he comes to his senses he in, in right there in that place Where he has this revelation of how stupid he's been and the squandering of his inheritance he actually repents in that place and can i say with that that if you're in a place of sin the time is right now to repent the time right now for change is now it's not tomorrow it's not in the future it's right now We have to make that decision each and every day of our lives. Luke chapter 9 says that we daily take up our cross and follow Jesus. We deny ourselves and go after Jesus daily. It's a daily walk that we have with him. There's no time like the better, like now, than to repent and to turn away from our wicked ways and follow our Lord Jesus. Someone say amen. That's two people, that's good. So grace is not a not a get out of jail car we often think it is isn't it and paul reflects on that in romans chapter 6 through to chapter 8 he says shall we go on sinning so the grace of god uh, goes on evermore or, or uh, is greater for us no of course he says we don't we change our lives grace is the opportunity for change it's not an opportunity to sin it's an opportunity to change james says that faith of our works is dead and revelation says that they wash their robes referring to the sons and daughters of god so sin is choosing your own path leaving the place of god's presence and god's provision repentance is turning your your back on sin and returning home setting your face if you like like flint like jesus to God's will and God's desires for your life. So I want to close with three short, uh, I guess, points to help you make those right decisions for your life. But before I do that, I just want to touch ever so briefly. I want you to, I don't want to talk too much about this because I want you to go home and think about this. We often don't talk about the older son when we talk about the prodigal. But in the reading today, you would have heard how the prodigal comes out from the field and he hears the singing and dancing, the music and all the rest of it. And he asks one of the servants what's going on. They say, well, your brother's come back. He's come home. And now your dad's thrown a great big party. And of course, before he threw the party, the father did some amazing things, didn't he? Because the son comes back and the son says, dad, I don't deserve to be a son any longer. I just want to be a slave. I just want to be a servant in your, in your household, but in your kingdom, if we think in those terms. And of course, I love the father's reaction. I just love how the father just completely ignores the son at this point. Just disregards everything he says and immediately turns to his servants and he says, go get me the ring, the signet ring he refers to. Go get me the robe go get me sandals and bring the fattened calf here and slaughter it on this spot. There's a lot in that by the way, a lot of symbolism which you need to study. It's very important as sons and daughters of God that we understand the symbolism because all of this relates to who he is in Christ and who we are in Christ or who he was on his father's farm and who we are in Christ. Of course the signet ring, that was the son's authority to do business if you like in the father's name whenever they did a business deal they used the signet ring to seal the deal literally the robe of course or the sandals I'll say next the sandals were a sign of sonship also because servants never wore sandals but sandals also enabled a son to do the business of his father by equipping him it's like having uh, if you like, a lovely truck uh, in the family business where you could go and pick things up and do things in the business. Having sandals was a symbol of authority, if you like, and a, really a symbol of enabling. Thirdly, he says, bring the robe, and of course, if you've seen the Queen's robe that she wore at a coronation, I wasn't born then, so I, don't, I have seen the film, so but I didn't see the original. Uh, But the Queen's robe, of course, she's got this lovely red robe and white fluffy things at the back. And I don't know if you've ever noticed those black swatches that have been sewn into the white section. Well, those black swatches apparently represent each of the kingdoms that she rules over. And so a robe, especially of that significance, represents the authority and the power that we have through Christ Jesus. And of course jesus says that what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven what you and by the way he's talking about you and me we're sons and daughters of god what you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven and he says all authority has been given unto me therefore go and so jesus has given his authority to you and me is that true do we actually believe it or we just think that's a nice idea but do we actually believe that because that's the truth Because in the garden of eden god creates everything for adam and eve and he says go and have dominion over this area have dominion over it can i say that you and i are each called to have dominion over the earth especially as sons and daughters of god and believers in christ jesus this ain't this ain't Satan's world, this world was given to you and me. Now he may have some influence in this world today based on what we've given him, but this is our earth. God gave this earth, made this earth for you and I. Of course, everything belongs to our Father, but he's given it to you and me. And so we have dominion, we have power, we have authority. All of those are symbols that we see given to the son when he returns but the older son of course comes in and he's we call him the grumpy son we also call him the pharisaical son uh, in some books that I've read about the prodigal um, and because he comes in and he's not happy with the fact that his father has put on this great celebration for his brother who's gone off and squandered his wealth on wine women and song And he says to his father most amazing statement i i think you can find in scripture he says i've worked my bottom off my tush this is my paraphrasing by the way for you all my life and you've given me nothing to even celebrate with my mates that's an aussie version and of course the term or the word that he uses he says you've never even given me a skinny goat that's the literal translation You've never even given me a skinny goat so I can celebrate with my friends. You can almost hear the attitude, the arrogance of the older son in those words. I often think he's not just the Pharisaical son, but he's the, if I use this term loosely, he's the religious son. And I'm not talking about true religion. True religion, according to scriptures, is those that care for the orphans widows and foreigners is that true that's what scripture says and hopefully there's lots of people who are truly religious but I think there's a lot of people who are religious in the sense that they've come up with lots of traditions and don't have a genuine intimate and loving relationship with our father so I call him the older son the religious the pharisaical son for that reason His father says everything i have is yours everything it's all yours you've had me my presence and you had everything that i have it's all belongs to you but he never understood that as the older son people often say i wouldn't want to be that prodigal son can i say i wouldn't want to be that pharisaical son that older son either i think all of us throughout time our lives at some point a prodigal, I think I've definitely wasted my inheritance, probably continue to waste my inheritance today as a genuine son of God but I know that I've also been that religious son as well where I haven't understood the Father's presence in the relationship that I have with Him. I pray that the latter half of my life will be different as I pray it would be for you as well. Three points... That I want to give to you which I think come out of this parable number one if we want to set our lives or be like Jesus if we say that then we need to seek after the presence of our father in all occasions or on all occasions Matthew 6 and 33 says seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and then all of those other things that you need food and clothes and shelter. He says, I'm going to take care of all of that if you seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness for your life. Colossians 3.10 says, set, set your mind on things above and not on things below. How many know that our destiny is heaven? That's our destiny. I mean, it's great that we have things on this earth and it's great that we can know if you like God and his provision, his presence and his provision on this earth. But there's a greater destiny that we have, and that's heavenward. And Paul says in Philippians, he says, the Philippians, he says, I press on towards the goal for which I have in Christ Jesus, heavenward. That's his goal. That was always his goal. And that should always be our goal. It's our ultimate destination. So in seeking the kingdom, we've got to turn our back on sin, unrighteousness, on and we've got to pursue righteousness in Christ Jesus. We need to establish godly patterns and practices for life that means that means a daily ritual of prayer a daily ritual or at least a a weekly or a monthly ritual where you fast and pray Uh, daily bible readings and fellowship with brethren is really important rituals that we need to establish in our lives to set if you like god's kingdom and god's plans and his presence first in our lives number two go after the provision that God has for you. Not after the worldly provision that the world can give you, but go after the godly provision which moth cannot destroy, so to speak. Go after the things of God's kingdom that are more costly than gold, if you like. And of course, Revelation says that God would have us buy from him, salve for our eyes and of course robes, That have been washed by him and gold which has been purified in the fire go after that gold that he has for your life understand that you have everything pertaining to life and godliness through jesus christ our lord there's nothing that hasn't been done for you already know what you have through jesus christ second peter 1 3 says god's divine power has given us everything we need to life for life and for godliness this power was given to us through knowledge of the one who called us by his own, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, three. all praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, uh, with uh, every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. There is no lack in God's kingdom. Someone say amen? There's no lack in his kingdom. There's no lack in him. When we seek after his presence and his provision, we will see that. The same spirit that raised christ from the dead now lives in you and it lives in me the very things that jesus did when he walked the earth you and i have the opportunity to also do in the time that we walk this earth pray for the sick heal the sick preach the gospel the good news of jesus christ that's what you're called to do that's what we are called to do in this world amen and finally go after your identity as a son or a daughter of christ or god because that's who you are understand the authority the power the dominion that god has given to you and given me romans 8 11 says the spirit of god who raised raised jesus from the dead lives in you and just as god raised christ from the dead he will give life to your mortal bodies first uh, corinthians chapter 6 and 19 says Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, whom you have received from God and you are not your own? You are not your own. We're God's creation. We're called to rule and we're called to reign with him in righteousness. And all of God's saints said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example that we have In this prodigal son the way in which he chose his path over the path that his father had for him and father we say this day that we don't want to be like that we don't want to choose our own path we don't want to have our own opinions our own ideas but we want instead your path your ideas your opinions we pray father that we can have the mind of Jesus Christ as your word tells us We thank you for your thoughts and your ways, which are so much higher than our thoughts and our ways. Father, I pray for every single believer in this place today. And those that are not present, Lord, we pray for them also, Lord. Father, we lift the body of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, we lift you today. We bless your church. We thank you, Father, for all that you've provided for your church through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, we bless your church. We pray, Father, that every plan, every desire, everything that you have chosen for your church, for each and every one of us individually, that they are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we set our faces like Flint, just like Jesus did. We set our faces like Flint after your desires for our lives, your plans, Father. Let it, Father God, every plan that you have, every desire that you have for us, let it be done in Jesus' name as we set aside our own wills as we take up our cross daily deny ourselves and follow you help us lord by your holy spirit lead us by your holy spirit on paths of righteousness each and every day for your namesake i pray And Father, we bless you, we honour you in this land. We thank you, Jesus, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Rose of Sharon, our bright morning star, that you are Emmanuel in this place today. And we lift you up, King Jesus, over all this land in which we live. We declare that you are Lord of these blue mountains and every region beyond it in Jesus' name. Have your will and have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name
0: and all of God's uh, all of God's saints said.